Okay, guys, welcome to episode number 19 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. Today we're joined by uh, Charlie Weingroff, who has an extensive um, resume for those of you who are not familiar with his work. Um, close to a decade of experience in the NBA, um, consultant physical therapist for um, Nike, uh, currently with Canadian Basketball, also um, a practitioner in the private sector. Um, I think you've got some military stuff in there as well, as well right, Charlie? That's right, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, uh, a few years ago, I was with uh, Marine Corps, United States Marine Corps Special Operations Command, and, uh, you know, just trying to be a part of uh, a performance program that at the time they were really trying to get off the ground. And uh, obviously I've, I've heard about your experiences from that on um, the Elite FTS Sports Performance Podcast, and um, it was quite interesting listening to that because... It echoed a lot of my experiences of working within Australian Rugby League in that, you know, the message they hired you to deliver, they probably weren't quite ready to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think with, um, with Mark, who, who does a fantastic job with the, uh, with the Elite podcast, he, uh, he is a Marine. And um, when we were setting things up, that was actually the first time uh, in, in my career that I was public. And there was certainly a lot of things still that I didn't that I didn't say, and um, you know it felt okay. I trusted him, and uh, we kind of went over a couple things that, that we were going to go over. And you know, it, it's always interesting to be able to be a voyeur uh, into what people do. Maybe if they have a cool job, and to actually look inside and see what that job is. Uh, but uh, to this day, uh, it was yeah the the word the the word to describe the experience was incredible. And that doesn't always mean positive or negative. There was a lot, a lot of positive things. And to this day, uh, to the day I die, I will be mortified by uh, a lot of the things that I see for the, the men and women that allow us to do what we do in safety. And it's just so, it was such a disgrace to, um, you know, to, to not uh, have the opportunity to, to help these men and women uh, uh, have lives uh, after the Marine Corps, or certainly to be able to do what they do uh, with more efficiency, which in theory would allow more men and women to come home. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite an experience. Made me a better coach, certainly a better person uh, in terms of how to deal with disappointment, to learning how they deal with disappointment, how I personally uh, deal with disappointment in terms of moving on. But, uh, you know, and, and also, believe it or not, learning things uh, – Basically, you know, specific adaptation to to impose demands and pain science. Uh, I learned I learned a lot uh, about that there in terms of understanding the human uh, organism and how and how it can be improved to perform. Yeah, and kind of thinking back to my own experiences, I think you you've kind of touched on it. Is that sometimes you can learn a huge amount just by learning how it's not done <laughs> or how not to do yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I've um, I've been on some some talks and some interviews since then, and I'm very okay saying like, you know what? I have failed enough times that I feel like I kind of have a good idea of how to do this, uh, how to be uh, how to be a leader, how not to be a leader, and that means different things for different people in different places. But uh, yeah, they knew they just didn't want to do it, and that's uh, and that's okay. I 
I just, I, I think the biggest thing that I said on the Elite podcast that really would sum it up is that I just, did, I never expected the types of issues to be there. Uh, I expected different kinds of issues, and quite frankly, those issues weren't there. So it's, uh, I just never expected, and again, the same thing I did with, with Mark, I'll stop short of using the words that I do want to use. I just never expected those types of uh, uh, words to describe the situation there. I never, I, I never would associate certain words with the United States Marine Corps, and um, I was just so, to this day, just still very, very uh, disappointed uh, in, in how process was, was handled, how, how my wife and I were treated uh, personally, and, and all because, you know, they, all because of physical science. Like all, how do we, uh, you know, human performance was the only reason I was there. And to be so offended by, uh, by approaches uh, and, and, and putting together something that people could remember, uh, it, was, it was quite an experience. Very diplomatic there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm, grow- I'm growing up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you kind of touched on something in, in the military preparation stuff that I think you can draw a parallel. Obviously, the, the cost of failure and, and mistakes is, is not as high in, in sport and professional sport. But one of the things you mentioned there was that you know how they approach their job or how they approach the training of their job, guys are breaking down. And, you know, conversations that I've had with, with Jay DeMeo, who's obviously a mutual acquaintance of ours, and, and also with Roman Fomin. And those guys are kind of of the opinion that to perform in elite sport, you're going to have to train in a manner which isn't necessarily optimal for health or the body or, or optimal movement. What's your opinion on that? I, 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 uh, I absolutely agree. I, I think that you know, we, should, we should be applying uh, a performance program that obviously adheres to science, but also adheres to the goal. Like, it's not for me to decide what the goal is. The, if the goal is, uh, and, and there is uh, even the, the smallest of threads in which to uh, develop preparation for that goal, then of course, there, but, that, but, I, but I, care, I think that's true of any training program. No, there's no training program that doesn't have a cost. Like, there's no, no nothing is for free. Everything has positive and negative uh, effects on the system. And given the temporal nature of the training program, basically how long do you have to be able to develop changes, then I think it's very reasonable that uh, there's going to be a lot of programs and a lot of reasonably excellent programs that leave you with negative adaptations as well as a whole host of positive adaptations. And that's why we have to identify the needs of the, uh, of the activity. Uh, I think the uh, I, when it comes to special operations, uh, I don't know exactly. You know, cause I, in America, they're all different. Uh, what what all of the different special operations teams do are different. Even within uh, Marine Corps special operations, not every uh, MSOD Marine Special Operations team had the same types of missions. But we have to identify. And then again, that wasn't the problem of of having the uh, disclosure and the awareness of what these men and women have to do uh, when it comes time for deployment. Uh, I actually did not think that it was required to have this uh, negative adaptations in terms of, of movement skills. Uh, it, it was The biggest issue was very simply that the, the physical output 
that is required, which, which is incredibly impacted by the psychological stressors. So basically, you know that for, in your world, you can have um, the same physiological parameters of a, of a practice and a game, and then something like subjective RPE will be much higher in the game because of the psychological demands. Well, maybe, you know, dare I say, we can multiply it by uh, a lot uh, in, in, a, in a special operations military setting versus uh, even the highest level of sport in the world. Uh, the, the stress to the body is, is immeasurable. Now, can you get close to that stress in a training event? Yes. Can you even exceed that stress in a training event? Yes. But the degree of recovery that is required in order for you to progressively uh, or even linearly continue to dose that stress is not, is not humanly possible. Uh, you, you cannot continue uh, to deliver these types of incredible stressors and then come back and deliver something anywhere close to appreciable so that we can actually run general adaptation syndrome. It simply cannot be done, and we are only reliant on mental toughness. And as a result of that, now lots of these negative things occur. So, so the approach that I would take uh, for that is not that we're going to pussyfoot around and not, we're not going to do a bunch of you know, little correctives uh, you know, because these guys have a bad back, but we are going to establish you know, a level of, of, of stress application so that when it does come time for deployment, they're not destroyed because there's no scientific thread to continue bringing the heat and having these incredibly intense training sessions all of the time, just in the name of that, of, or just in the thought that they look like what you do when deployment, they smell like what you do. You're do you have to do those. those. Those training sessions are imperative, and they must happen at certain points in time. But you cannot do that all the time, because then you just, you just run your body into the ground, and you're no longer, you're, you're not getting better. You're just te constantly testing yourself. And there's no one that goes 100% in these types of physical endeavors. And it's really, you know, there's clearly no science to it. And just because this is what we did, you know, next month I'm going to be spending time with somebody who I look up to a lot. His name is Buddy Morris. He's a strength coach uh, for uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Been there, done that, every level of sport, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that, that he would say, like, there's a couple of people that really scare me. And one of those people are the ones that say, well, this is just how we do it. And that's just what I ran into there. It's just how we do it. And here's this civilian coming through. And, you know, I look like them and talk like them and act like them. But I wasn't one of them. And uh, they were not interested in, in um, you know, following. Even, and even to that, remember I said, like, before, just so surprised. One of the things the commanding general, Paul Lefevre, told me at one point, he's like, you know, sometimes being a good leader is being a good follower. I'll tell you what, I didn't, I didn't encounter much of that while I was there. And uh, yeah, I just all I know is science, and and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like you know it wasn't like I, I I don't care what you say you know I'm here to help you get better you you know you had in meetings like oh for many many years you know we we've been saying we were going to get these guys from professional sports and we're going to have this like just like the seals have and I thought to myself I'm like of all the people you hired how many actually worked in professional sports the answer was one I mean I had a staff of a you know, this, this guy's wife and, and that one uh, knew somebody and, and, 
it was a bunch of people that worked at a gym, and, and this guy had army experience, so he's got to be the right guy. And it was just it just turned into such a cluster. And uh, but uh, you know, again, the, from a scientific level, how do you start to build a philosophy? Well, again, you got to build it by identifying the needs of the terminal activity, and that terminal activity can be reproduced, but it cannot be reproduced in a systematic approach so that you actually achieve levels of adaptation that exceed it because you cannot, you, you can't even reproduce the true psychological nature of, of combat. We can, we can do things like Raven exercise, et cetera, uh, but everybody knows it still ain't the real deal. And uh, there's the complete disacknowledgement of the psychological stressors uh, and what that does to the physiological systems uh, in terms of performance and recovery, golly, you know, it, it, it can, they, they can be trained. And, uh, you know, this is uh, you know, what, what these men and women have that other humans do not have is a level of mental toughness that they were born with. They do not develop it. It is not trained. It can be tested and it can be qualified, but no one has it. It, 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 mental toughness is, is not something that you, you gain in, in technical and tactical or, or practice. You, you're born with it. And because they have these exceedingly ludicrous levels of mental toughness, that's why they are who they are. They'll continue to be the greatest fighting force in the history of the world, and they'll continue to do it the best way that they can. So is it fair to say that a lot of the initial training and selection process is kind of like the CrossFit Games and it's kind of like the Chinese Olympic system in that a lot of what you're doing is just trying to find out which are the ones that aren't going to break so that you can do what you do? I think that's fair. I think there's, there clearly are physiological components that are measured and tested. Um, but, but I think if you, if you uh, throw those things in an isolated fashion to a high-level... Uh, athlete such as a, a competitive uh, CrossFit competitor, uh, I think they would dominate these things in individual events. But in the entire sphere of what the selection process is, yeah, it's just, it's just who's the last man standing. There's minimal development, and quite frankly, at least in Marine Corps Special Operations, uh, there is a few weeks, at least during when I was there, I don't know what they do now, but uh, when, when a Marine uh, volunteers to selection process, the training, uh, the preparation that they have uh, prior to the actual uh, selection events uh, is minimal. So there's an expectation that they already have this level of training. And again, for each individual event, it, it's, it, when I say it's not that hard, it's not like it's, you know, a 10-minute walk. I mean, these are things, though, that these men and women can, can do. Uh, it's just a matter of putting it all together under incredible stress and also sleep deprivation, which again is an enormous factor to, uh, to performance. Uh, so the, the levels of intensity, uh, is, uh, um, just, it's, it's, it, it cannot be sustained through a training process. And if you bring up, you know, something like CrossFit, uh, I don't believe any of these elite CrossFit competitors do CrossFit workouts every day. They analyze what is required and they use scientific approaches. You know, these are the best people, not the yokels that go into uh, local fitness facilities. Uh, if you're going to win CrossFit games, you're going to identify what you think you have to do and then you're going to fill in gaps understanding science. And that's probably what these individuals have done. 
uh, in terms of developing the different systems of the body, or and plus being a freak, which is a good thing to do when you're at these incredible physical events. So uh, science, science cannot be beaten. Like it's it's you know physiology cannot be beaten. Uh, there's outliers, and there's ways to manipulate things uh, when you have enough time and you have enough foresight. But the most important thing that you require is humility. It's why we need a coach. And you know, to, to, to think that everybody knows everything, that someone else cannot assist you in, in achieving what you want, no one knows everything. And there's a good chance that someone else has a key piece to the puzzle, and maybe you didn't even know that you needed that piece to the puzzle. And that's where, you know, again, that's where I saw a lot, of, a lot of limitations. Hey, maybe they do it right now. I doubt it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just the, it is very much, you know, Battle of attrition, and uh, and that battle is 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 won unmercifully with incredible incredible mental toughness on the part of these folks. Yeah, so you kind of you you talked about uh, specific adaptation to impose demand, and one of the criticisms that you know I'd spoken to Roman about with with the FMS. Obviously, you like the FMS. I like the FMS as well. It's part of our system with Argentinian rugby. Is that sometimes some things that the FMS will throw up as a dysfunction or a, a sub-optimal movement pattern might actually be the stuff which is a sporting adaptation which allows that athlete to do what they do on the field of play. Can you talk a little uh, bit about how, you know, if, how do you distinguish between what is actual dysfunction and what is a sporting adaptation? Or is it just a, a kind of case of coach's eye? Yeah, the, uh, we're going to go down this road. I know you gave me the questions, but you know, one, of, one of the things that I really have tried to do over the last several years is uh, you know, be that person who's like, don't confuse me for someone who cares. Like, if, you don't, if you don't like what I do, it's cool. Like, it's, uh, um, but it's obviously an effort of education, and um, you know, I, will, I will not tell you what, is, what, what some of our discussions in a dark room in Finland uh, with Roman Val. Uh, and myself and, and some of the other folks like Patrick Ward and Sam Gibbs from Canada Basketball. But um, I will reserve interpretation of your conversation with Roman uh, because I don't know exactly what he's saying. I will tell you at, with an iron fist that there's a good chance I know a lot more about what the FMS is and what it is meant to do than Roman. And Roman knows a lot more about Omega Wave and muscle physiology than me. Okay, so... Uh, this, I, I, I have the utmost respect that a lot of what appears to be disseminated by the FMS and at times is commercially disseminated. So you're actually getting it from a fairly reliable resource and you said I can curse on this and it's all a bunch of horseshit. I cannot apologize for why certain you know, key members of functional movement system or why you know, very ardent users are saying things that are completely erroneous, they're derisive, and they're confusing, and they just don't add up to what highly, highly intelligent sport performance programs does. That being said, it is still the premier option to determine, can joints get into the right position? Let me rephrase that. Can joints get in the optimal position to absorb and adapt to stress. You will decide what is optimal because you decide the training program and you know the sport of rugby and you know what is required in this elite profile to dominate in rugby. 
And the one thing that we all have to agree upon, whether it's rugby, whether it's Marine Corps Special Operations, whether it's CrossFit or we just want to go to the gym, we have to have movements that develop qualities that then translate to our activity. Well, what is the, the common link towards movements, training, and a terminal activity? We have to get into the key positions. Well, you can find out when it's too late if you can get into key positions. You can run suboptimal training, et cetera, et cetera. But can, like, what does the FMS do? Can joints get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress? I don't even know what dysfunction is. I cannot tell you. Now, obviously, other people are going to say, yes, that's dysfunctional. I'm not going to tell you that it's dysfunctional because I don't know your training program, and I don't know what it is that you need from your training program. For instance, if you have painful shoulders, you have painful ones, like these are the, you have like 22 inches in between your, 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 your hands, and they both hurt. If you're just, if you're, all you're going to do is train the deadlift, that is not a dysfunctional pattern. It's just what your pattern is. It's not right or wrong. It presents it in a certain way. I would be incredibly keen to determine that those painful shoulders are not of medical origin. Usually when we see things bio, uh, bilaterally, it's usually not a medical issue. But we don't know that for sure. But again, that's the big piece, you know, that, that what the FMS can deliver for us because we're using odd, unique, untrained patterns that may elicit a medical issue, an orthopedic issue, or simply what we always hope to be as a neuromuscular issue. But just because you see that, that doesn't mean you cannot continue to train. You could do whatever you want, but now if I told you that you needed to squat to 115 degrees because that's what you believe in as a coach and that's what you believe has requirements in the rugby, and now from the FMS, you will know categorically if you do the FMS correctly, which I'm not sure people are doing in terms of doing the deeper screens and having this keen understanding, if you can only flex your hip in a squat pattern with proper dorsiflexion to 95 degrees, now you might still want them to try to squat to 115 degrees, but if the hip can only move 95 and you're going to coach them to get to 115, you are on a different route of efficiency in terms of creating an adaptations in the organisms. That's up to you. That's your call. You know, you, 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 well, you just brought in a player and he's got to play in two weeks. All right, well, you, the best way for him to rob Peter to pay Paul, how do you develop biological power? Because we know we can still get strong and fit with inefficient training in terms of form. That's all it is. I'm trying to learn what is the cost of doing business from a joint level, and, and the FMS is at the bottom of the pyramid because everything that we do requires joint position. I'm not telling you about a functional pattern. I'm, telling, I'm using these seven very, very unique developmental patterns that do demonstrate some level of neurological integrity because of their basis on months 0 through 14 development. If you don't buy into that, that's fine. The fact of the matter is, is that if you do the FMS correctly, you're going to know if this person fails in your training program, it's not going to be because the joints can't get into the right position to absorb and adapt to stress. That's what the FMS is. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. Show me your program, and then I'll show you an FMS, and then I'll tell you, in my opinion, if it's a good idea. Can you be a coach? Or do you need a therapist? Or do you have to have a different coaching strategy, maybe one with a lot more recovery? Because, again, if you're going to ask me to press overhead with painful shoulders, I'm going to need to recover a lot more. And now you run a different thought process in your training, but that's your call. The FMS doesn't make that call for you. So 
I don't, I don't know why people don't get that. I don't know why people don't understand that. I've had a lot of people say things like, wow, that was the, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. I don't know why I'm the only one that says it. Uh, I, the FMS is, I even have people say, man, you think the FMS is like the end-all, be-all. Actually, to determine if joints can get into the right position to absorb and adapt to stress, yeah, I do think it's the end-all, be-all, because I, I don't know every training move in the world. I will say this, and this might be a sensational statement. There is no joint position in general physical preparation that is not cleared by the FMS. Now, there's probably special physical preparation uh, where certain sports require ranges of motion that are larger than what we do in training, like a baseball pitcher or a, a golfer needs 60 degrees of uh, minimum of, of thoracic rotation. So we need screens that move past the FMS that are very sport-specific. So, but from a general physical preparation, Olympic lifting, barbell lifting, running, uh, maybe not even so much running, but like running for fitness, the FMS will clear every joint position. So now you can just be a coach. And if your plan does not succeed, it's not because the joints can't do it. Because you and I can both look the same, and you're running you know, a 5'10 mile, and I'm running a 9'15 mile. But maybe it's because you know, you're a coach in theory is like, okay, I've got to analyze the physiological system, and I've got to find a way to develop more aerobic fitness so I can get Charlie down to that five-minute mark, which we believe is our gold medal profile. No. If you don't do the FMS or something like it, how do you know that it's because I only have negative five degrees of hip extension and I'm such a great athlete that I can arch in my back and then I actually get out really, really quick, but then uh, I peter out uh, at, at the uh, you know, 60% mark and I run into this stupid time of nine minutes and whatever. So the, uh, uh, the, there's, the FMS is actually, if you apply it the way that I'm suggesting, and the reason I use it is because I find it flawless. Like, I think what I'm doing is correct. And I haven't found anybody to challenge when I explain it this way. Because when you do the FMS, you're going to find out if the joint system itself can sustain fitness adaptations. No, it can't. So maybe, maybe it's like what people get confused. Well, like, if you can't do the inline lunge, you're not allowed to lunge. No, that's a bunch of horseshit. Like, no one ever said that. What you have to do is the deeper screen to determine if the joints can get into the right position. And then you can lunge till the cows come home with your wand on the inline lunge because uh, you believe that the joints can sustain a motor skill you know, uh, um, adaptation. And then if you do the, the deeper screens and the joints still do not achieve the proper position, they require a mobility intervention. You, what else do we do? Well, we have painful interventions, but again, the FMS in this shows us pain is not going to tell us whether we need uh, a neuromuscular, an orthopedic, or a medical intervention in terms of pain. So we run the SFMA, and now you have four categories. What else is it that we do as human performance professionals? We change pain, we improve mobility, we acquire motor skills, and we achieve fitness. And we do so in those four categories with a philosophy that is geared towards general physical preparation, special physical preparation, and specific physical preparation. If you prioritize the end states of one of those three levels of preparation that is not consistent with what the individual can do in terms of achieving joint positions, you can do whatever you want and just expect that there to be a different uh, level of consistency or reliability to your training program. And then you win. And if, 
Yeah, but but we we can't. There's no way we can possibly suggest that if you need certain joint position and you don't have it, that all of a sudden your training is the same. Like that's not how shit works. Now, if you you know don't do the FMS correctly, or you only do the top tier, and you don't even do that correctly, but let's say you only do the top tier, you're going to see a lot of red herrings. You're going to see things that don't make sense. There's going to be people that have ones on that straight leg raise, but they can still touch their toes. That person can sustain what is required of what we believe split hips can deliver in terms of uh, posterior glide of the femoral head, opposite side hip extension, and uh, uh, stabilization of a tall spine in the presence of split hips. Uh, you can do all those things with a one, but you have to do these next steps in terms of establishing, does it, uh, this is interesting, like, that doesn't look right to me. Let me do some more of these tests. And the first test that you would do is a seated or a standing toe touch to determine can those hips actually do what they can do. And if people did that, people, uh, again, I can't, I, I go back to what I said, I don't know why uh, I have to be the one that always explains it this way. Because the, the, the top tier and the numbers, they, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to create this highly offensive and this very polarizing approach. Um, it's not correct. That's not what it is. I'm just trying to help you understand your training program. You asked me what, what, what are things that are dysfunctional. I don't know what's dysfunctional until you show me what you need. And then you could wind up having like an 11, and that is an adequate uh, FMS for your training program based on what it is that you're trying to accomplish with the movements that you believe have carried over to your goals. And this is why we should be able to see a 7 and, and be able to gener generate a ruthless general physical preparation program. You won't be able to get into special physical preparedness because there's probably more joint positions that a seven, you know, it can do. But for general population, fuck, you should be able to have a seven or an eight and still kick their ass. You know, you just do what they can do well and don't even worry about doing all the other stuff. There's no such thing as dysfunctional when you're a smart coach. When you're an idiot and you worked in Starbucks last week and now you take the FMS this weekend, yeah, you're probably gonna, you're probably going to be fooled into uh, into thinking that this is. And then there becomes the secret squirrel because there's no one more intelligent than Roman. Um, but, yeah, and I also think there's a degree of popularity, you know, to say things negative about other things yeah, like that are very, very popular. And, um, you know, you start to, you know, build, a, build your reputation. You, you choose your side. And, uh, you know, it's just human nature uh, to, to try to find holes in things that are, that are so simple and, and so, like, man, like, is somewhere in individuals' minds is, you know, I don't know, like, it can't be that easy. It can't be that. So I got to find holes in it. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's, think about what I said. We can do, as, 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 as people that intervene in the human body, we have interventions for pain. We have interventions for mobility to improve motion. We have interventions to teach the system things. But you cannot achieve teaching if you do not have the joint position. And then whether we teach specific skills or we teach adaptations underneath our, our performance in terms of force velocity and, and endurance, none, none of that shit works if your joints can't get in the right position. You have to pick another drill. I remember one of the things that we did talk about, like, oh, this is bullshit. You're talking. I, I'm like, no, no, Val. Like, there's, there's, at some point, there's a, there's a technique to throw the javelin that that person can't do. There are many, many different ways to perform spe uh, uh, specific skills. So it's not just one way to do it. And a better coach probably knows more ways. 
but at some point there's a cost. So, so when we see um, individuals that have a bolted spine, which again is something that would be revealed, I think, from the FMS or other types of uh, measures. It doesn't have to be the FMS. I'm just talking in principles, but I don't know anything else that embodies all of the principles <laughs> because that's what geniuses do. They come up with stuff that the rest of us can't come up with. When you take that golfer that has a bolted spine, there is a way to teach that individual to golf, and he might only hit the ball 120 yards. There's the cost. Like, you can't, you, you have to unbolt the spine if you want to get 320 yards. Like, it's not humanly possible to affect that system. But if you took the 320-yard techniques to a spine that couldn't rotate in the fashion required, now all of a sudden you might be injuring that person. Maybe you don't injure them. Not everybody gets injured, you know, from, from doing one little thing. But now you, at that worst, you wasted valuable resources to your training program. And not everybody has six months to train. So that's the, you know, that, that's, it's, it's so disheartening, you know, that people will sully and insult, you know, these, you know, somebody, uh, whether it's me or Gray or whoever that really actually understands this. And then you have pieces of trash that are just wrong. Like they're, the, the statements that they're making are not correctly attributed to this model. And, and that, that has to be accepted. Like if, it, it, no, yeah, I, I don't understand why, you know, the, the people say what they do because they're actually at the, at the basis of the words of their statement. It's a correct statement, but that's not what the FMF is. Can the joints get into the right position to absorb and adapt to stress? Yes or no. And then you decide the costs of training and the choices of your training and go to work. And so, like that's, that's, so is it kind of thinking selfishly? Obviously, sport adaptation and sport adaptation is is a, a feature of a lot of our athletes. I think about a guy that we have on our team. He's probably the best in his position in the world, and this guy's lucky to get like an eleven or a twelve in the FMS. He's got the mobility of like a two by four. But looking at what he does in his position, his job is just to push pretty much in the range of a half squat. Uh, you know, within that range, he's good for like six hundred pounds. If you ask him to go any deeper you're going to start to pay, pay a price in terms of compensation. So I've, yeah. I've kind of got to the, the stage in my thinking where I think, you know what, for him, an 11 is okay, and I'm going to let him half squat in the gym, or if he even wants to, I'm going to let him leg press. Um, but then I would, uh, I would 100% agree. Like, uh, first of all, assuming that that's what his FMS is, remember now, I want to say, yeah, let's say that you measured him perfectly. Because there's a couple things to, to use this athlete as an example of. You measured him perfectly, and he's a legit 11 or 12. Uh, I agree completely that that 11 or 12 is perfectly functional because you have established that this individual has incredible levels of special and specific physical preparation. You win. The, however, and it's, not, it's, a, it's a weak however. It's a, it's a, it's a chumpy however. If there was, do we have this belief that if I make him into a 13 or a 14, uh, does that make him a worse rugby player? Don't ever do that. Don't ever make someone worse when you're at the highest level of specific physical preparation. Don't ever make anybody worse. But he might actually really be a 13, a 14, or a 15 because you could have what is a hard 11 or 12 or a soft 11 or 12. And what this means is that your top, you scored it correctly, but when you have ones or asymmetries, you have to run deeper screens. 
And remember, if the target of the FMS is to determine can joints get into the right position, just because they can't do it in the top tier doesn't mean that the joint position doesn't exist. So let's say your guy has a one on active straight leg raise, but he can touch his toes. He clearly has the hip arthrokinematics of posterior glide and slide so he can drive and, and create incredible amounts of posterior chain force without an anterior tilt and without this high cough. Just because he has a one on an active straight leg raise doesn't mean he's sunk. You just have to see is it hard or soft. So I think what we're going to find is a lot of high-level athletes have a soft screen because they've never learned how to do the movement. And if we look at the research, we probably have, even though it's probably some you know, suspect evidence, but let's just say it's true that if I teach you the movements, you score better on the FMS. Okay, well, why do I care if you're on your back lifting your leg? Why do I care if you do this lunge with your arms in this position? Because they elucidate the joint positions that are going to be reflected from your training and your sport. So maybe you can do it, but I'm going to catch everything. I'm not going to miss anything because I'm going to use movements that there's no way you can cheat through it. There's no way you can be strong to do it. There's no way you can battle through these bio the first barrier of biomechanical pathology because you're so strong and skilled. So uh, the other thing to consider, let's say it's even in a hard 11, and this is just a, a very incredible athlete, uh, to, to, uh, where are we looking long-term for this individual's health? Because if you're stiff uh, as a young person, um, there's synovial fluid that is not uh, traversing the joint, and we may be very well, in, uh, not may very well, you are accelerating the generative process. Now, I'm totally okay with that. I had shoulder, uh, shoulder surgery on my left shoulder. I'll probably need it on my right shoulder. There's probably a bunch of other ones coming. I paid the price for being a power lifter and continuing to be a power lifter. Um, because to be great at your sport, sometimes you do have to have these sport-specific relegations of fundamental movement skills. It's all, it's all, but it's all understanding that. And if you don't use something like the FMS, you don't know what you're dealing with. But I think we should be very keen when we see these low scores for high-level athletes. Are they hard? meaning the joints are fibrotic and stiff, or are they soft and they just don't do it right? If they just don't do it right, that joint system should still be able to improve from uh, motor skill acquisition type of training. Uh, it means the joint can do it. Just because it didn't do it in the top tier doesn't mean it's bad. So working backwards from there, if, if we've established that at the, at, the, at the tip of the pyramid, SPP is, is, is where it's at, you're, you're willing to accept a degree of, you know, quote-unquote dysfunctional adaptation in a position. But working backwards in an athlete's career when we've established that general preparation is the name of the game, you want to build the biggest possible toolbox of, of movement literacy and, and put load through those different patterns. Could you say there's a stronger case for um, a high FMS score when you're dealing with youth athletes and then you can, you can almost let the position or let the, the athlete adapt into their position as they get older and rise up that pyramid of performance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I have to be a little bit more temperate because I don't have the data. I've, I have the, the largest uh, bulk of, of legitimate you know, high-level athletes that I've trained at the junior level is in tennis. Um, and most of the asymmetries that we see are, is actually true GERD in the shoulder, GIRD, glenoid internal rotation deficiency. It's not this total range of motion that everybody seems to love to talk about. Um, but uh, you, in, in theory, I do agree with what you're saying, and I don't think there's a negative cost to doing that at, 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 the, at, the, at those younger ages of development. 
clearly there would be a cost um, to doing that in a uh, in an elite athlete, an elite adult. And um, but but I think the key thing is is like what you're saying is that yes, uh, not not only is it these very uh, unique sports specific changes from different positions or different sports, it's also anthropometry. Just because you have unique anthropometry doesn't mean that you're, you shouldn't do things. It just means that there's a cost to doing certain types of things that you believe in in your training. So, uh, yeah, I do, I do agree with you in theory. There, there's always going to be situations that don't always apply to what we think. Yeah. Now, another uh, criticism of the FMS is that when you give people knowledge of the movements or they understand the screen or you coach them on the movements they're going to get a higher score than if they were naive to the test. And perhaps what your, what your FMS, it may suggest improved movement quality, but what, you may just be assessing learning. What, what's your kind of counter to that criticism? I would, I would want you to, to distance yourself that the FMS measures movement quality. It does not measure movement quality. It measures can joints get into the position to absorb and adapt to stress of your training program. So let's say you coach someone to do the movement and their score improves. The only way their score would improve is that if their joints can move. For instance, you cannot coach me into a, a, a two in, in shoulder mobility. There's nothing you can do. I've been doing this in 2004. I'm on the advisory board. I know exactly what to do. I've taught thousands of people how to do it. I cannot do it because I have fibrotic shoulders and I have pathologically limitations in, into, into elbow flexion, meaning I can't touch my thumb to my deltoid. And it's not because my biceps are so big, even though they're not small. Uh, it's just the, the anthropometry of my elbows. So I cannot get them close enough to measure uh, uh, underneath 1.5 hand length. Okay. So you're not measuring movement quality. You're measuring joint position. And if indeed your coaching of the movements got the movements better, it means that the joint positions were always there. They had a soft FMS. You wasted your time coaching them on these stupid movements, and you should have been coaching them things that will directly translate to what you want to do in a gym or on the field. So I agree, but, but you, can't, you cannot achieve motor skills. There's no motor skill acquisition unless the joint is proprioceptively appropriate for what it is that you're teaching. So now if you have a fibrotic joint, or one that is so much under neurological lockdown, if you will, so such, such protection, you cannot coach that joint. You have to intervene on that joint. You've got to change the fibrosis. You've got to change the neurological tone with possibly some parasympathetic training. Then you move forward, and then you might have improved your FMS score anyway just from doing that without ever having to teach you know, the person had to quote-unquote beat the screen. So, total horseshit, total wrong. I, I think that if we can get away from uh, establishing that, okay, I'm using this to establish movement quality. What is move? There's no such thing as movement quality until you tell me quality for what. You know, like, it does, it's, 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 that's, that's the response to, like, you're totally right, but you cannot acquire new motor skills at any level unless the joint position already exists. If a joint position already exists, why are you wasting your time with this other stuff when you could be using that joint position for physiological or technical and tactical? All you're trying to do is just beat up on this dude from Virginia because he's making a whole lot more money than you. you know, like, you're, you're wrong. You know, like, it, it, and, and then people don't want to hear that they're wrong because what I'm saying is totally founded. 
there's no holes in anything that I'm saying. Oh, now he's now Charlie's being an asshole. No, no, because I get so passionate and so upset because like there's so much more we could be discussing. Like there's you clearly don't understand motor skill acquisition then because how do you learn how to do something if you can't even get into the right position in the first place? Well, that's you know we can go back to all everything that we know from the earliest levels of motor skill acquisition in Bernstein. We cannot achieve new skills unless the joints don't unless the joints can do it. If the joints can do it, then why are you bothering? Let's use it. And that's why we have to understand the deeper screens to the FMS. Not everything is like a, a one or a lower score. It doesn't mean you're sunk. It just means you have to look further and you still might be out of the woods. So to, to understand why you have a one or a two, not just that you have a one or a two, you have to understand the reason why and then, and then program in the context of that answer. Yes, it'll explain why your monster can still be a monster, even though he has a quote-unquote. There's no such thing as a low score. It's just a guide. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a question now that I had in a job interview uh, this week, which uh, it, it kind of got me thinking. That I've heard some different people talk about it. And the, the question was, obviously, you know, in theory, the prevention of non-contact injuries is a simple thing because you're just controlling the demands of the environment on the athlete and, and the capacity of the athlete to tolerate that stress. In a contact sport like rugby, how do you mitigate for contact injuries beyond the obvious of stop doing contact? Because obviously the, the, the contact is an integral part of our practice and our game and we want to minimize that. But are there certain things that we can do in the training process to try and, and, and reduce contact injuries? In terms of, yes, for example, movement know. strategies. Yeah, I just don't know what they are. Yeah, I just don't know what they are because, uh, um, in, in, uh, and you'll know better than I. In, uh, in in rugby, you're not getting hit in the same place every single time. Uh, if you were getting hit in the same place every single time, you, in theory, should be able to develop structural resiliency to that contact. Uh, everything works on specific adaptation to impose demand. If there is compressive or shearing or rotary forces to a bone, uh, the bone you know, breaks at some point, and this is a contact injury. Uh, or other tissues break, so somebody dives on your outside of your knee and the medial collateral ligament tears. All of these structures, though, can be improved upon because they weren't like that when we were babies. They weren't like that when we were children. If you want to get into evolution, they probably weren't like that when the folks that we lost. You know, they didn't have some of these inherent structural changes throughout the bones and, the, and, and some of the stiffer, soft tissues. So I don't know what those movements are other than, you know, you, you can't just run into bags and, and, and things like that. But what we can do, in, in theory, is just manage the most robust levels of preparation and readiness at all times. Because in theory... Uh, in an isolated situation, one bone will break when a sledgehammer hits it and the other one doesn't. And that's because the, the changes in the bone structure are, more, are, are strong enough to sustain that sledgehammer. It's just how things are. It's why some people break and some people don't. Now, was there a direct reason? Well, sometimes, yeah, we can train anything. I can train my medial collateral ligament to be stronger if I wanted it to be, to be able to, to, uh, to, to absorb more force in a, in a valgus fashion. There's drills I can do to do that. I probably have to spend time away from other things to develop that, but you can change anything. 
but the, the, when I say I don't know, you, and because it's so infinitely factorial, there's the only way to, to deliver, you know, a, uh, rather than this very unique uh, contact and this unique resiliency of human bone, let's just create incredible resiliency as much as possible throughout the entire system, and let's hope slash expect that in the end we're going to come out ahead. Maybe the easiest way to explain what I'm saying is, because it's a little bit theoretical, it, it is all theoretical. You know that we, we lift weights to get stronger, more powerful. We can use it in certain ways for sports-specific endurance. But if I lift too much, I get sick. I'm overtrained. And I get malaise, I get a cold, I get something like that. We know that. Like, that happens. That's a, that's a consequence of non-functional overreaching. We know this. But lifting weights, has, it's not like I contracted a bacteria and I got sick. It's not like um, yeah, I go outside without my ski hat on. Obviously, it's nonsense. But you see, like, these are two completely nonlinear you know, inputs and, and results. They have nothing to do with each other. But you know, it can, maybe it can work the other way. Maybe if I do something that goes to the left, and I do it the right way, because I know if I do it the wrong way, I get, if I do A the wrong way, I get Z. So maybe if I do Q the right way, I won't get F. And that's just the entire training process, and it's part of what we sign up for in these incredibly, uh, at times, violent contact sports. Now, if we knew it was the same place every time, so for instance, um, in Muay Thai, it, you, I'm sure, I don't know what they are, but because of the, the repetitive nature of contact, to the tibia, I'm sure there's things that they can do to increase the bone density of the tibia so that when you kick, you don't, you know, break your leg where they shouldn't break. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the entire system, humoral, humoral and hormonal effects of training, um, and, and maybe we can even be specific when it comes to nutrition uh, if we are specifically looking to create robust bone structure. But obviously, too, contact injury isn't just bone. You know, contact is... A lot of bones don't always break. I don't know that there's any, any direct answer other than just smart training and, and you know, doing, doing things the right way in terms of preparedness and readiness. I mean, that's kind of my thoughts. I've, I've spoken to coaches that think that through exposing athletes to those contact scenarios uh, more frequently, they're going to be able to develop um, movement strategies which expose them to, to less levels of damage. Um, you know, there's there's rumors of certain teams in the league that literally just once a week go out and like beat each other up. Um, but my thinking along that, like you've said, there's a, there's a price to pay with that, and you, you have to weigh up what's the benefit that you get out of that versus the the price that you pay physically. I think. Yeah, yeah. So in, if uh, I would I would feel a lot better about that approach, and I don't feel bad about it because there's a level of sense to it because at least in my opinion, uh, you're the the contact. You know, um, the, all of the different levels of force equals mass times acceleration and the angles of which that equation is applied, they're all different. So if it was the same all the time, it would, I, I, it would make a lot more sense. Okay, let's do this. It has a high cost. We'll, we'll, we know what to do uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to recover from this. Uh, and we believe that this is what's happening. Um, we're doing DEXA scans because we're the biggest team in the world and we can do that. Um, but... Yeah, but but when when you have like no no two of no two physical events are the same, so we should probably take a more general approach uh, because 
there's no, at least in my mind, to think through the process. Contact is not predictable. Hip internal rotation in the golf swing is highly predictable. Uh, it's different every single time, but now I know that maybe I'll, I'll leave power on the table and I can use some of these other uh, um, uh, tissue, uh, directional tissue molding techniques of tension and relaxation to improve that particular motion. But I don't know that, uh, you know, obviously the amount of angular velocity of a golf swing should not be compared to what, you know, two 275-pound men uh, crashing into each other. Yeah. Now, um, just kind of uh, last question. Don't want to take up uh, your whole day, but um, at, at the, the the Boston Sports Medicine um, seminar, your your colleague Sam did a presentation, and um, I was I was well out of my depth. I think I was one of the few strength coaches in the room with all the the ATCs and, and PTs. But one of the things that I took away from Sam's presentation was that by manipulating the, the inputs to the central nervous system, you can have quite a rapid effect in terms of manipulating the output of the central nervous system in, in terms of either strength, stability, or, or mobility. And as I've tried to, to learn in those subsequent months, the more I've kind of learned about stuff like foam rolling, um, scraping, various other things, it seems to be that those are manipulations of the central nervous system. We're getting those small temporary effects. Is, is that um, what we're seeing with stuff like chiropractic and, and osteopathy as well? Because I think you've mentioned it before, like players like having their joints cracked and stuff like that. There isn't a huge body of evidence for some of what they're doing, but they seem to like it. So is, does that merit it, it having a place within the program? Uh, ultimately, yes. So a couple things. Number one. Sam Gibbs is absolutely the real deal that nobody knows about because you can still be very, very good at what you do and not really care about the Internet. That's number one. Um, Sam, by his training, is an osteopath. So you know, if you saw that kind of a link uh, in Sam's messages in Boston, then that's why. And, and in true sense, uh, osteopathic approach is you can change pathology through bone. And, and that's a lot of what maybe you saw. Now, um, uh, the techniques that Sam was showing you, the um, uh, 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 um, manipulation, which is not isolated to chiropractors. They're not the only professionals that know how to uh, create uh, pops and, and whatnot in, 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 in joints. They, uh, I do not believe that these techniques uh, make you different when you're done. Uh, I believe that these techniques are lifting inhibition over what you already are at that particular time. So if, if you value a certain test of the right uh, deltoid and, you know, whatever you do, it's your business, um, and then you crack the neck, and then all of a sudden the deltoid appears to test out uh, stronger, you, you, cracking your neck does not change rate of force development or limit strength. What it does is for some reason, the body was in a state of uh, recovery at this highly micro level, and then you fed the system something that, that led the system to, to say to itself, oh, like, we really don't need to be in this level of recovery. Thank you for cracking my neck. Now I'm going to allow this muscle to do what it already can do. And now if you take that window opening 
for smart, intelligent training, uh, then you're off to the races and you find incredible value. The problem with maybe what you're calling osteopathic techniques that since people feel so good when they're through with these techniques, they didn't realize that uh, there's something that has to happen afterwards in order for that change to stick. There's something that has to happen to create this new uh, motor skill. And because it's not fitness, because fitness takes time, like fitness, you cannot, you cannot become stronger or more fit from a single intervention. You cannot create physiological change from one intervention. You certainly can create neurological change from one intervention. And oftentimes that, 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 uh, that neurological intervention is required for you to jump off into this highly stressful program. Because you have like this, I, sometimes I'll say like you have this cloak over your body. You, you, I'm, I'm just going to try to remove the cloak and then let's see what you can really do. Um, that's what those techniques do. But you can't do them just once because uh, you don't understand physiology then. Because you can, you can change the nervous system very, very rapidly. But the only purpose of changing the nervous system is to create further physiological change. It's maybe what we can call... Uh, if we're going to call physiological changes uh, adaptations, maybe those quick neurological changes, we're just going to call them adjustments or we'll call them acute adaptations versus uh, chronic adaptations. They have incredible value. Uh, it's why foam rolling works. It, you, you're telling your body something that, and nothing bad happens, so it releases this neural inhibition. And, uh, and, and obviously there's humoral and hormonal excuse me, humor and hormonal effects to quantify exactly what it is that's happening uh, from some of these techniques. And, and because that they're, uh, uh, they appear to be musculoskeletal in nature, uh, and then we get confused because, like, there's no evidence, there's no understanding, it doesn't make sense why it's happening. It's because it's not, you're just using the bones uh, or the soft tissue as a vehicle to create acute changes in the brain and you're good, you're good to go uh, you, to train. You're not good to go, you know, like, oh, now everything is magic. Like, it's, we see these incredible videos from folks where, you know, you scratch the side of their cheek, and then all of a sudden they, uh, you know, they have this wild range of motion. Well, that's, that's, I, I don't believe it didn't happen, I mean, unless it's totally a hoax, um, but how long does it last? And, like, what's the purpose of the technique in the first place? so that you can do further changes so you never need to scratch that person's cheek ever again and they can be doing some ass-kicking training. Uh, and quite frankly, to go back to what we were talking about before, that person always had the joint position because fibrotic joint doesn't change in one session. It changes over time. And uh, there's rules to acquiring new motor skills. That person never acquired new motor skills and they never acquired strength. You just change the nervous system's control over those exhibitions of quality. Mate, that is, uh, you've, you've given me a lot of things to go and read over the weekend. Where can, um, where can <laughs> people find you? Um, uh, CWagon75 on Twitter, charlieweingroff.com, and uh, I still do a pretty good job of responding to, uh, to emails and, uh, and uh, all that right, right off my website. Well, thank you very much for, um, for giving up your time for the podcast, and um, good luck to you and the guys for uh, qualifying for the Olympics. Awesome. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you.